take a late night drive along the dark back roads of Pond Bank and South Mountain in Franklin County, and you just might meet the white lady of Pond Bank and hopefully won't regret it. So begins an article from Penn Live, which discusses the different white lady ghosts in Pennsylvania, from the white lady in the Fulton Theater in Lancaster, and the lady with the lantern near Greenville, to the bride of Tenicum Island and the white lady of Wapsi Mountain. Trust me, there are a lot, and not just those listed, again, just from Pennsylvania. Tonight, on the Dreary Midnight Podcast, we're taking a deep dive into several different myths of the woman in white, the white lady, the dead bride, whatever you want to call her, she's wearing white, and she's been scaring people for centuries. Welcome back, my name is Lisa, my pronouns are she, they, and this is the Dreary Midnight Podcast. Now, the specter is not necessarily ethnically white, though often she is because it's often rooted in European mythology. The trope is named for the long white dress this woman wears. Sometimes it's for a wedding, sometimes it's what the woman is buried in, sometimes it's just summer and it's nice out. Whoever this woman is, and whatever she represents, differs widely depending on the region of the world and the time period. Sometimes it's a bride who died on her wedding night, other times it's just a ghost who suffered some sort of loss. Perhaps she or a loved one just died in tragic circumstances and she wanders the area hitching a ride causing chaos on purpose, or just trying to live her ghostly life and not intending to scare people. Still other times, the woman in white is a death omen. According to the Journal of American Folklore in 1889, there is a bohemian belief that, quote, death is considered a white woman, survival of the death goddess Morana, whose apparition is a sign of death to the seer. To be clear, that's bohemian as in the area that is now in the Czech Republic, and not bohemian as in, like, hippie. We're going over a few different stories today. Some are broad descriptions, some are super specific. First one is the White Lady of Avenel in Bedford, Virginia. See, Avenel was home of William M. Burrell, who was elected 10 times to the Virginia House of Delegates. He's not to be confused with William A. Burrell, who served as Thomas Jefferson's private secretary. That was William M.'s father. The house was built around 1836 and was located on a rise that once overlooked the town of Liberty. In the 21st century, the house is situated on three acres in the midst of a residential neighborhood in an area that was once farmland. The White Lady of Avenel is said to be Burl's daughter, Mary Frances, often known as Fran. She died four months after her wedding to Captain James Breckenridge and still waits on the porch for her husband to come home. And honestly, I hope she keeps waiting. Her husband, as mentioned, was a captain, but in the Confederate forces. So, pro-slavery. Presumably, Fran was as well, having grown up on a plantation that enslaved at least 100 people. Fran's sister Letitia wrote an autobiographical narrative called A Girl's Life in Virginia Before the War. There, she said Avenel enslaved about 100 people when the girls are young. But the account Letitia writes is all about, like, slavery is great, our folks are so happy. I hope I don't have to explain how problematic that outlook was. Because her writing has been categorized as part of the lost cause narrative. 
After the Civil War, there's still a lot of writing from Confederate soldiers and sympathizers that uh, keeping people enslaved was good and right and awesome. This philosophy ignores that the practice is only good and right and awesome for the ones in power. Fran is apparently not the only white lady waiting for a Confederate soldier to come home. I saw at least one from Louisiana, and I'm sure there are others who married veterans and or who thought slavery was a good idea. I don't know if Franz shared her sister's idyllic outlook on slavery, but I still hope she keeps waiting. Forever. Usually I don't like to wish ill on people or their spirits like that, but well, these are the circumstances under which I would make an exception. Sure, Fran died a few months after her wedding, but sometimes the woman in white is someone who died on or around their wedding day. There's one story in Alexandria, Virginia, where a woman named Laura Schaefer died in a fire on her wedding night. Her bridesmaids had stepped out, her giant 19th century train caught fire, and she died before she made it to the ceremony. If you look into the second story window where she died, sometimes you can still see a woman in a white dress crying in the corner of that room. In Long Beach, California, the Sunnyside Cemetery is haunted by Bessie M. Baxter. Though originally from Iowa, she moved to California in 1911. She eventually got engaged to one Corey Tingley. They set a date for September 21st, 1918 at 2 p.m. On the morning of September 20th, the day before, Bessie was running errands, getting last minute items for the wedding the next day. She stepped off a northbound Pacific electric car and without looking where she was going, accidentally stepped in front of the moving southbound car. She died of her injuries that night and was buried the following day in her wedding dress. Seemingly, she still haunts the Sunnyside Cemetery even a century later. Unintentionally, I am recording this on the 21st, so... Happy burial day to Bessie. But so far, the white lady has just been tame, I guess. At least she hasn't been actively malevolent in death anyway. That's not always the case, though. For example, in Japanese folklore, Onryo are ghosts that come back for the specific purpose of vengeance. When presenting as female, Onryo are described as having long straight hair and wearing a white dress in a varied state of disarray depending on which Onryo you're encountering. If you've seen the movie The Ring, Samara is an example of an Onryo. In Japanese and Korean tradition, the color in which one is buried is usually white. Seems like if these spirits are to come back, they come back in the color they're buried in. Also in Korean folklore, there's a type of ghost called a Chionyo Gwisin. See, apparently there was a concept that a woman's life purpose was to serve her father, and then to serve her spouse, and then to serve her kids. I don't know if this is still the case, so if you're more familiar with modern Korean culture than I am, uh, please weigh in. For this uh, specific kind of ghost, which is also called uh, Korean virgin ghosts, uh, if a woman dies before she can fill her purpose by getting married and procreating, she cannot move on to the afterlife due to an overabundance of resentment. When corporeal, the woman appears in a white hanbok. Again, white is specifically a color of mourning and burial practices, and the hanbok is a formal traditional dress. So there are two ways to stop a haunting from this specific kind of Korean ghost. The first is by holding an exorcism. The second is to have a spiritual marriage with a bachelor ghost who also died single. These ghosts usually haunt the people that they knew in life, friends and family and so on. If I'm 
haunted by this kind of ghost. I guess you would know, like, oh, so-and-so died before they got married. I'm curious how one finds a bachelor ghost, though. But Korea and Japan are not the only areas where the undead are unhappy. For example, in the Malay region, there's the Kuntilianak. Timo Duile summarizes it as follows. The ghost of Kuntilianak is well known throughout the Malay realm. That realm covers the area historically inhabited by Malay-speaking Muslim groups and consists of the contemporary states of Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, and Brunei, as well as the southern parts of the Philippines and Thailand. In those countries, Kuntilianak, in Malaysia and Singapore referred to as Pontianak, is known as a female ghost with a vampire-like characteristics. Attracted by blood, which she also uses as her nourishment, she is dangerous to women giving birth. As an undead person, she threatens the living since she cannot find peace. She wears white clothes, and it is said that she usually lives under trees or in the jungle. Kuntilianak is often lumped in with vampire mythology, given the penchant for blood and vengeance. Sometimes, she is a victim of assault and comes back to wreak havoc on her attackers. Other times, she died in childbirth. After all, the word anak, found at the end of Kuntilianak, is the Malay word for child. I'll leave the link to the full article in the show notes. It's a sort of media review. The last category is untimely and tragic deaths not connected to weddings. Sometimes the woman in white is the one who died. Sometimes she's a death omen. The white lady of Wamsanonacock Mountain in Pennsylvania has several origin stories, all of which center around an area of road called the Devil's Elbow. One story states that the white lady's child was thrown from her carriage while on the dangerous area of road, and now she wanders the section looking for the lost child. Another states that a young couple died, most likely in a vehicle wreck, on that treacherous section of road. Sometimes the lady survives and is able to move a little bit farther down the road. Sometimes it's her companion who moves. Either way, the bodies are separated and the white lady is still looking for her companion. The hauntings are all similar though, regardless of the backstory. As one is driving near the mountain, one may see a smiling young woman dressed in white who needs a ride. She takes a spot in the back seat, only to disappear when approaching Devil's Elbow. If that whole premise sounds familiar, it's very similar to Resurrection Mary, who catches a crab ride in Chicago and vanishes near Resurrection Cemetery. Near Muncaster Castle in England, there's a ghost called the White Boggle, said to be a woman named Mary Bragg. In the first half of the 19th century, before the railroad came in, Bragg was a housekeeper in the village of Ravenglass, and who fell in love with a footman in Muncaster Castle. But apparently another housemaid was also in love with this footman, and the housemaid is employed at Muncaster, not in the village a mile away. Bragg and this footman would meet regularly, but one evening she was told her sweetheart wasn't well. She hurried to go visit him that evening, but was attacked on her way and killed. Her body was found a few weeks later in the Esk River, and her spirit still wanders the paths around Muncaster Castle dressed in white. Similarly, the Belle of Berks is a ghost who is said to wander the Skyle Hill Canal wearing white. Her identity is said to be that of Adeline Baker, who was murdered in 1845 and was found in the canal shortly after. Her murder remains unsolved. And so for the final, final category, death omens. According to a book entitled True Irish Ghost Stories, which was initially published in the 
turn of the 20th century. There is a family in County Wicklow for whom death is warned by the appearance of a woman in white satin walking across the sitting room. Apparently, the Lankford family, at least between the 18th century and the 20th century, would also be warned of a death in the family by a woman in white. That is similar but not identical to the legend of the Banshee. The Banshee usually warns through screaming and wailing and usually follows families in particular. Similarities mostly being that this woman in white follows the Langfords specifically. When one lays eyes on a Banshee, the descriptions differ. Sometimes she's wearing white and has red hair. Sometimes she's wearing red and has black hair. Perhaps it's different banshees for different families. So the Langford origin story starts with William Langford around the turn of the 18th century. He went home to Kilkesgriff on leave from the army, and according to true Irish ghost stories, quote, finding the house was full of guests, he declared that he would sleep in what was then known as the haunted chamber. Wild that you already have a haunted chamber at the turn of the 18th century, but you know. He goes to bed, and he hears the door open around midnight. A woman comes in, carrying a lighted candle, wearing a white nightdress, and this really large diamond ring. Somehow she gets in bed with him, and it's at this point, William realizes two things. First, this is not a ghost. It's one of the guests. Her name turns out to be Gertrude St. Ledger. Second, she's sleepwalking. So William steals the ring. And a little while later, Gertrude gets back up, goes back to her room, still seemingly walking in her sleep. In the morning, William brings the ring down to breakfast, and Gertrude asks where he got it. He explained what happens the night before, and proposes to her with a ring he stole when Gertrude was sleepwalking. William and Gertrude got married in 1703. Fast forward to the 1730s, Gertrude is dying. And Gertrude tells William that she will be seen advance in advance of a family death. So that's the general origin story of the Langford family's woman in white. Gertrude seems to be doing it on purpose. So, on to the haunting. The true Irish ghost stories authors heard this story from Richard Langford, a descendant presumably of William and Gertrude, and who relayed four stories about seeing the woman in white. So this uh, next retelling is all from True Irish Ghost Stories, the 2010 edition. Our correspondent, Mr. Richard Lingford, sends the account of four of her appearances, three of which he witnessed himself. Quote, My father told me that one night a black setter dog of his got up on one of the piers of the yard gates and commenced to howl most dismally. He went out to it in his nightgown, but could not get it to come down. Suddenly he saw a woman walk across the yard. He called out to her, but she returned no answer and walked on till she went through a door into a stable. He followed her, but found nothing there except the horse. He returned to bed, but the dog continued howling all night, and in the morning he learnt of the death of his father at Milltown, Malbay. This occurred in September 1856. When the latter's wife, my grandmother, died, I was in the dining room here, and heard a most unearthly crying in the deer park. I called to my brother, who was in the nursery, as we termed a certain room, to come and listen. As soon as he came in, it stopped, so he went away laughing at me. It soon commenced again, and on looking out of the window, I saw a white figure moving along a path by the garden, which is called the Lover's Walk. It was then getting fairly dark. I was started somewhat, but called out, whereupon the figure disappeared in a clump of laurels. I went out after it and carefully examined the spot, but could find no trace of anyone. That night, my grandmother died. In 1889, during my father's last illness, I was sitting in the dining room with no society save that of the family portraits. My father's room was at the end of a long passage. He would have no nurse, and we all had to look after him. 
I heard a movement outside the dining room door, so I went and looked out. I was about to walk to see how my father was when suddenly the white figure of a woman glided by me. I followed her, but she vanished, so I hastened to my father's room, only to find that he had just breathed his last. My youngest brother, Crawford Linkwood of Glenville, had been failing in health for some time, and had gone to Dublin to consult doctors. On his return, he was invited to, by my cousin, Major Langford of the Abbey, Rathkeel, to go and stay there with him for a few days' change. While there, he got worse, and the doctor said it would not be safe to move him. He had two nurses in attendance. On the evening of February 1st, 1914, I, with one of the nurses, was sitting in his room at the Abbey at five o'clock. Tea was announced, so I said to the nurse, you go down and have tea and I shall remain here. I was seated with my back towards the fireplace on a lounge opposite to the sick man's bed. Suddenly the door opened, and a tall figure of a lady in white walked, or rather glided, into the room. She went over to my brother's bed, put her arm across him, smiled at him, then looked to me and smiled, and then vanished. I went to speak to her, but my powers of utterance failed me. My brother died six days later. And that concludes the tales of Robert Lings Lingford. Again, that was found in True Irish Ghost Stories, compiled by Sinjin D. Seymour and Terry L. Nelligan. Most of the above stories have been reported sincerely. You don't just go talking about ghosts to just anybody, unless you know your audience is into that kind of thing. After all, you wouldn't be here if you didn't like spooky things, right? But that brings us back to the White Lady of Pond Bank. See, most of the reports have the woman leaping up onto car hoods and appearing suddenly to drivers who think they're about to crash. The tales have been around for generations. How many generations? Well, I could not find a number. Several, anyway. But there's one tale that says it's a dummy. Dummy as in mannequin. As in teenagers in the 1952, put a dummy in a white dress, tied the mannequin to some trees, and then dropped it in front of oncoming cars. I guess, before the advent of the internet, people had to find other ways to entertain themselves. But luckily, you have me instead. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review wherever you listen to appease the algorithm gods. If you'd like to support the show financially, donate to the Patreon. Starting from $3 a month, you'll get a shout-out at the top of the show, bonus episodes, and more. If you have an episode idea, email it in at drearymidnightpodcast at gmail.com. Slightly more information, including the social media links, is on the website drearymidnightpod.wordpress.com. Until next time, be aware of mannequins on roads and women wearing white at crossroads. They could want to kill you, or they could have just escaped from an asylum to which they are condemned against their will. Safe travels home on this dreary midnight. Good night. Also, if you know which novel that was a reference to, email it in and I'll read it out on the next one. Good night.